of the Video Game History Hour presented by the Video Game History Foundation. Every episode, we're going to be bringing in an expert guest, someone who's done their research and has an interesting story from video game history to tell. My name is Kelsey Lewin. I'm the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation, and I'm here, as always, with Frank Cifaldi, the founder and co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. I did miss one, to be fair, but other than that... Oh, that's true. I guess it's not all... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Kelsey. Um, Our guest today is our friend Phil Salvador, who describes himself, I think, best in his Twitter bio, much more succinctly than I could, uh, where he calls himself a librarian who writes about weird old games. That's very true. Um, Phil's blog, The Obscuratory, made headlines earlier this year for bringing attention to what was then a lost piece of computer game history, uh, a game called Sim Refinery. That blog post has since um, inspired a copy of the game to uh, to surface itself and uh, replicate itself on the internet uh, in a way that it is now preserved forever. Um, so, Phil, welcome to the Video Game History Hour. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's terrific to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, why don't you go ahead and set the stage for us here uh, when it comes to Sim Refinery by uh, explaining Maxis. What was Maxis and where did Maxis come from? Maxis, of course, being uh, the developer behind uh, SimCity. Yeah, so Maxis Software, like you said, they made SimCity, uh, and I think they're they're most well known for their kind of big games, SimCity and The Sims. Um, but it's kind of funny because the gap between those two games is 11 years, and a lot happened in that span of time. I think some folks who are maybe fans of Maxis might know like a Sim Ant or Sim Farm or some of their other kind of unusual spinoff games they had. Um, but they had a very interesting, uh, somewhat tumultuous history over the course of a decade where they, uh, you know, started out as this kind of small boutique software developer making SimCity. Uh, within a couple of years, they were like, they had gone public on the stock market. They had like this big giant company before they eventually got purchased by Electronic Arts. And during that kind of big uh, period, they experimented with a whole lot of things. And one of those things was they experimented with making simulation games for other companies. Um, what had happened was uh, when SimCity came out, they got a ton of attention uh, from just all sorts of folks. And they got a lot of uh, corporations saying like, hey, we really liked SimCity. Could you make like a SimCity for our company? Could you make like, you know, Sim Arby's or whatever? That wasn't a real one. That They did not make Sim Arby's. Oh, but that, dang it. Unfortunately, but that kind of list of lost sim media, (laughs) lost game sim Arby's, but, but that kind that that's the kind of inquiry that got though. And for the longest time, they kept turning it down because that wasn't really what they did. Like they didn't know how to make like accurate, realistic simulation games. They, you know, they were a company that made games. They were inspired by real world concepts. Like SimCity is based on actual research about urban planning, but, but they weren't that, you know, they weren't making like serious things that could be used in a like professional manner right Um, i mean that's and that's the thing about sim city it's it's a lot of smoke and mirrors right i mean it's 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 really just refining down city management you know uh into what is essentially simulation but it's it's not you know uh, it's it's not one that would actually hold up in the real world Right. Well, i think of it more like a toy like it's you know it it kind of gives you an idea of what how these systems interact with each other and stuff, but it's not meant to be, uh, 
it's it's not meant to teach you how to be a city planner. Well, that was exactly the phrase that Maxis used in a lot of their like uh, marketing and philosophy. Was they called their games software toys, and the idea was it was a thing you could like mess around with to explore different concepts. So yeah, it was they were trying to make a fun thing to mess around with that just also happened to be based on real world concepts with you know some distortions or omissions in the interest of being an interesting fun game to play around with. Uh, so it it did have you know some educational value in that sense but it wasn't yeah you weren't going to use it to predict how to run a city which actually kind of kind of spectacularly backfired uh, because there was i think it was in was it rhode island i can't remember for sure but there was a a town that was had a race for mayor that they did the local newspaper did a gimmick where they had the candidates uh play sim city and one of the candidates did not really understand how the game was supposed to be played and just like destroyed the town. <laughs> and they they swear that it cost them the election. Like they swear that was one of the factors that pushed wow. the election. So, but, but again, going back to it not being realistic, <laughs> if you just replaced everything with train tracks, your city would, <laughs> would grow and be substantial. And then Yeah, but uh, if, if the headline is just like, this guy fails to run a city like you know he blows this guy up a summoned a monster yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh so that do, was do we so know that he did, did did he summon disasters do we actually know i think i think what ended up happening was the candidate i forget who it was but they i think just like tore down a huge part of the city and just started putting up the wrong types of like ah, zoning businesses okay. they, they they just low-key destroyed the city not like you know <laughs> bowser leveling the whole place that seems worse because <laughs> if you just summon a monster, it's like, okay, that's that's how you play SimCity. That's fun. <laughs> but if you just kind of like slowly suck the energy out of a city and kill it, that's... <laughs> yeah. Well, Vice has a whole article about it. They did a big investigative report about that whole situation. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but point being, not really what Max has wanted to do. Uh, but things changed for a couple of reasons. Um, one of them that is worth mentioning is that they took a lot of venture capital money because they were starting to grow and they wanted investors. They were thinking about the stock market and their new investors were like, you should get on this. You should start doing these serious simulation games. So part of it was just the the money coming in. But a and big, that big factor, Nintendo money that kicked that off, too. Oh, that's right. Because they had the that's right. You were involved with uh, the uh learning more about the NES and Super Nintendo versions of SimCity. That, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, yeah. they, they had, you know, they were doing okay, but it really was that Nintendo deal that, that you know, caused them to get out of sort of startup mode and start growing as much as they did. And and uh, I almost think of the business simulation aspect of it as being like a growing pains part of Max's history. Yeah, it was definitely them trying to figure out what they were doing, uh, well, what they wanted to do, I guess. Uh, and yet they're definitely uh, getting out of startup mode into company mode there. I think uh, if I hope this is an accurate story, but I remember reading that uh, Max has actually got audited uh, after SimCity came out because they had so few staff. They were just like kind of ad hocing a lot of the uh, like financial stuff. And uh, so, yeah, they, they, they pretty quickly adjusted to being a bigger company. Um, but in this case, what happened, though, was they actually found a different company to make the simulation stuff. Uh, there was a company out in uh, Monterey, California, that was run by a guy named John Hiles, uh, that had been doing this kind of exploration with like serious simulation game development, and uh, like you know, it wasn't they weren't making like SimCity games; they were making you know like you know exploring simulation modeling and other software type stuff. But uh, after John Hiles saw SimCity, he was like, "Okay, this is this is what we need: is we know how to make good simulations." 
Maxis knows how to make fun simulations. We should put those two things together. And they got into Maxis's orbit. And Maxis was like, you know what? We'll have you guys do it. That's great. And uh, I think one reason they were supportive is because it meant Maxis did not have to do the work themselves. Right. They could just, yeah, they just had they another- They were particularly passionate about uh, the idea of working with an oil refinery. Exactly. It, it was just, <laughs> it was like, here's this, you know, brilliant group of people who are making exactly the kind of thing that we're, you know, we've been told we should make. So perfect. Like, yeah, bring them on board. Uh, so they bought them out and turned them into Maxis Business Simulations, which was a short-lived division of the company. I think it's, I think it was only around for about two years. Um, wow, and in that time, yeah. yeah, just just two years. And in that time, they explored a whole bunch of projects, uh, only a couple of which really panned out. Uh, the first of which was the one that uh, attracted a lot of attention this last year, which was Sim Refinery, which I think I think the reason it Took, got so much attention is just because it's so absurd sounding <laughs> that yeah. it's like after Sim Farm and Sim Ant, here comes a realistic oil refinery simulator for the Chevron Oil Corporation. Like that just seems, I don't know, especially it, it, weird. It, it is the where in North Dakota is Carmen San Diego of yes. the Sims. Because <laughs> yes. there are, I mean, there are other business simulations projects that, um, you know, most of which didn't pan out, but they don't sound as silly as a sim refinery. Yeah, like there's sim environment, <laughs> and that sounds less, yeah, less ridiculous than yeah, sim refinery that sounds, does. That sounds normal. That I, some of these titles, I'm like, I have to double check if they came out or not, you know, because I'm like, I don't know. They did sim ant, sim earth, sure, they did sim environment, whatever. <laughs> I think another reason that sim refinery captured so much attention is that there is a press photo with Maxis founders Will Wright and Jeff Braun posed next to sim refinery. So it it appeared, you know, to be a real SimCity spinoff by <laughs> it, the it, real people. It manifested somewhere in the world. But yeah, I feel like at this point, I uh, I had been, you know, doing research on Maxis for a little bit before I came across all the Sim Refinery stuff. And at that point, Sim Refinery really kind of existed as like folklore. Like there was a Wikipedia article and it had like a single quote from Will Wright from like Wired Magazine where they he just offhandedly mentioned it. And that was like that and that photo, that was like all anyone knew about Sim Refinery. It was like this weird legendary thing that nobody was totally sure if it existed. Um, but it turns out there was a whole big story behind it. As I was doing all the research, it like there was very little information about the fact that Maxis had a business simulations division. Um one thing they had done was they had published a game called Sim Health, which was like a realistic simulation of the American healthcare system, which was very controversial. Um, but it was fascinating because uh, when I fit, when I learned that that was also done by the business simulations division, it was like, okay, this isn't just like random trivia facts. Like there's a story here. There is this whole separate division of the company that nobody really knows about uh, that did all these other projects. So yeah, it was... Um, I know the pieces fell together surprisingly quickly just from reading like uh, press sources in like, uh, you know, press release databases, newspapers. There were a surprising number of mentions of this business simulations division, but it's not really something that ever crossed over into like the gaming press or anything because, I mean, there was so much else happening in 1992 through 1994. Well, and it's not meant for gamers. I mean, the reason yeah. that we don't see a lot of information about, um, you know, some of the weirder, not just games, but like accessories and that sort of thing um, is, you know, it's not like this stuff is really making it into 
the video game journalism sphere so much because these are business training tools in this situation. I mean, these aren't going to be out on the shelves for someone to go buy. Um, so, you know, it might be reported on as like an offhand uh, to, to a video game magazine might be reported mm. on. It's like a look at this. You know, this is kind of interesting that the guys who made SimCity are also doing this, but you're not really going to talk about something that, you know, isn't meant for you to go play. Yeah, it's just not something that. I mean, maybe Max's we're fans yeah. are. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not something that that like sort of became a part of the video game history or even the Maxis history canon because it's you know our our resource materials, you know, for studying this would be sort of gamer focusing things, and it's like no, this is just a separate business division that they had. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I think what. What's interesting is that, again, a lot of this stuff was, you know, publicly available, but it was just buried a little bit further beneath, yeah, the sources that I think we would tend to look towards. Uh, like John Hiles, the person who ran the division, um, I, he spoke to the press. Like there was an article in, I think, the San Francisco Chronicle where it was Jeff Braun, the co-founder of Maxis, just like talking about like how this is um, – you know, this is like a new business venture. This is going to be, I think he said like in a couple of years, this could be bigger than our game division. Like they were, they were talking about it publicly, just not in a, a magazine or a press source where you'd be reading about Sim Ant or anything like that. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, looking into Nintendo of America's, you know, online infrastructure from the early nineties that never quite got off the ground. You, you don't, you don't see that in Nintendo power. You know, you see that. I mean, I guess it's in the game over book, which is, which is the best place for it, but it's, it's, it's something that would only really be in the business press. So it doesn't tend to be, you know, sort of a part of that story that, you know, makes it into the, the, the Wikipedia entry or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'll totally admit that the fact that I was able to access these sources, I think, is largely because uh, I'm an academic. I, well, I work in an academic library, and so I have access to a lot of the databases we have, which includes things like newswires, uh, collections of press releases, and that has really helped for finding some of these, again, like more business journal oriented sources. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it helps to yeah have a broad uh, a broad net for looking for this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it was. I, I think it was especially interesting that Jeff Braun was thinking about it in terms of being a separate business. I think that also kind of goes to what we were saying. Like it was a totally separate business from just like normal games. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but Braun wasn't really the the games guy, right? He was the business guy. Yeah, and I think that's a thing that there's a lot of misconception about with Maxis is Will Wright was you know he was the designer of SimCity and The Sims, but he was definitely like the creative brains messing around with stuff in, in Maxis. But the business side was, yeah, for the longest time, it was Jeff Braun was the business side of Maxis. And I think it's especially, I think that's interesting too, because uh, from what I understand, Will Wright was to an extent skeptical of the business simulations division. I think he didn't speak too much about it publicly, except just, I, th- I think he, from what I understand, was not the biggest fan of it. I know it, since... Since the division closed down, he had said to other folks in interviews something to the effect of like, I don't want people to think that we can really accurately simulate anything because we can't because our things are games. Right. Um, So he was operating on a very different wavelength than the wavelength of like, we should do this thing with Chevron because it's profitable and we know folks who can do it for us. I think it's, it's definitely two separate sides of the company that I think get kind of lost when you just think about it in terms of this kind of weird, quirky software company making weird things like SimAnt. Yeah. And I, 
I, I couldn't find the quote, but I, I, I remember a quote from Wright along the lines of um, him saying that after SimCity came out, a lot of companies started uh, coming, to, coming to him with the idea of just kind of duct taping the simulation engine onto anything as if it were this concept that applies. <laughs> you know, right, like, like you just replace the graphics <laughs> with with Pizza Huts or whatever. Right. Then- exactly (laughs) yeah i mean i mean it's almost like people thought that he replicated the world (laughs) under the (laughs) and if they could just tap into the specific parts they need then it could be sim arby's or whatever and 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 the feeling that i got from him is just like a frustration over not understanding how you know this this toy works and and just thinking that it was something it wasn't and to to Chevron's credit, I mean, it sounds like even they weren't like we are trying to teach our engineers how to, you know, how an oil <laughs> refinery works, and you know, this is this is a one to one replica of of the real thing. Um, it, it well, you can explain better than me, Phil. But wasn't wasn't it more geared towards kind of the other people who just needed to understand where they existed in the greater machine of Chevron? Yeah, it was it was a couple things. It was part of it was for folks who were it, it wasn't supposed to teach chemical engineers how to run a refinery because that would be extraordinarily dangerous um, to use a game to train someone how to run an oil refinery. Um, but it was because there were part of it was there were folks in like you know human resources and finance who didn't really understand how the pieces of the refinery fit together, how all the different departments and different units would interact, but also because for folks who were doing the actual work at the refinery, uh, they you know were often so siloed in their own department they didn't necessarily see the big picture of how something they were doing affected the process and the workflow of other departments and that kind. Of, so it it was it the whole point was to get a big picture of how the refinery worked. But like Frank was saying, yeah, there was an impression that uh, you know that to an extent that there was like a simulation engine to put things in. So what I thought was so interesting about the development of Sim Refinery was that when they made these games, uh, the developers, the team at Maxis Business Simulations, had to become subject experts, essentially. Like when you're making a game like SimCity, you know, you can read a book on urban planning, get some ideas, and make a game around that. But in this case, they had to like learn how an oil refinery worked to an extent that it would be ac- it would seem accurate to people who worked in an oil refinery. <laughs> so they ended up doing like site visits, like they went out to the uh, the Richmond refinery, uh, it was Chevron's refinery in Richmond, California, and they actually like visited and toured around the plant. They worked with the staff at Chevron. Like I think they actually got the formulas that Chevron used for like uh, you know predicting and managing the flow of different components at the refinery. And they had to figure out how to do those things. They had to figure out like how to translate that into a game in a way that was accurate. So it's this additional layer of development challenge that's so fascinating. I remember that uh, with Sim Health, which came, you know, like a year and a half after Sim Refinery did, um, they had the additional challenge of having to, again, not only model the healthcare system of the United States, but do it in a way that was accurate. Their target audience was like, people on Capitol Hill. So that was like an especially huge challenge. And I remember hearing a story about the um, 
the the poor programmer at business simulations who was supposed to program the entire healthcare system mm-hmm. and every every variable like if like you know the difference between like you know managed care and uh, you know a family physician and just losing his mind just trying to keep track of all these variables and like make a unified model of healthcare it was just this impossible challenge uh, so just an interesting additional layer they had to deal with besides just, you know, making something that was fun and interesting and easy to play with. Yeah. And again, this is this is a game when we're talking about it that uh, was lost. And I know that you were personally reaching out to everyone you could trying to locate this game. Right. Mm-hmm. So the people you talked to, I mean, obviously didn't have it like 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 where did all the copies of this game go why, why, why do they not exist so i think a big part of it and uh, is that honestly people didn't it wasn't really a high priority for a lot of people it wasn't something that people were especially passionate about and i say that not to at all disrespect like the folks who worked on it because they were really invested in the project but like for chevron it was this weird training thing they had worked on that eventually got shelved because i think it came at a bad time when they were like in the middle of layoffs and it was the optics of like moving training over to a computer program so like it didn't get off the ground um for maxis it was this weird side venture from a division that they eventually spun off and got rid of so like no one was especially invested in at maxis either it was just the kind of thing where it was it was such a weird odd thing that never really fit into like it, it was a pig that didn't fit into anybody's hole essentially yeah and like someone did evidently save a copy of it um i think the person who came forward was like a, the friend of an anonymous retired chemical engineer who happened to have a copy of it. And the game did have like a very small second life in like uh, academia and apparently some other, I think there was just some general interest within, you know, the oil industry about it, but it, it wasn't the kind of thing that was especially valued. I guess the point I was thinking about this earlier and it's like, if you're working on, you know, like the next Halo game or something, that is a super exciting, like that's, you know, this big, giant, high profile uh, game that has like a huge media presence. But for something like Sim Refinery, you know, that might, that could have just been a weird work project that you had worked on. And then 25 years later, here comes somebody asking like, hey, can you tell me all the details about that random thing you worked on at work for a couple months, 25 years ago? And it's not necessarily going to stand out. And I, I experienced this too with a lot of the folks who were involved in the business simulations division that uh, a lot of their memories on some of these projects were kind of hazy because, you know, it was work. It was just a project they had worked on. It wasn't like this, you know, groundbreaking, historically important game. It was that weird oil refinery game they had done for half a year. And this is also a group that's working on like a ton of these, right? I mean, Sim Refinery was special in that it sort of came out. I mean, you know, Chevron at least kind of used their copies because it was never quite finished, right? It's still in the like, this is a workable prototype. This this plays. Yeah, I got to a prototype phase, which was uh, further along than a lot of the projects did. I think uh, there were a couple of ones. A lot of the times it sounds like uh, the head of the studio, John Hiles, was really like out there on the road, talking to people, getting people interested in making simulation games, coming up with ideas. And then a lot of them either made it to the prototype stage and fizzled out or didn't really go anywhere. Uh, there's even like press mentions that there was a project that was supposed to be like a power plant simulation game called Sim Power that never really happened. Uh, I actually have a copy of a design document for one called Sim Energy that was supposed to be a 
this is such a weird one. It's supposed to be, it's like a simulation of power usage. It was supposed to be made for a, uh, a Japanese power company, but it was supposed to also be like a generational life story where you make choices in your life that affect power consumption. And then the game flashes forward to your grandchildren talking to you about how your energy use impacted their life. So it's this like multi-tier complicated, like I kind of get why they probably passed on this idea, but like, so, but the point is they had so many, yeah, like you said, they had a lot of projects in the works they were juggling. So Sim Refinery, folks, the folks on the team seem to remember that one well, because it was their first project. It was them learning the ropes. It was them learning how to like make a game with graphics, which they had not done before, which is um, weird to think about because they had always just done, you know, kind of hardcore simulation work. So it, it was a learning process. It was exciting for them, but it was just, yeah, one project among a you know, many other unusual projects they've been working on. So definitely it was, it was, it, it took on this kind of folk legend quality, I think because it was one of the ones that the public knew about. So the, the people you spoke to, did they understand why you were speaking to them about this game? Did they, did, did they get it? To an extent. Um, okay. <laughs> so I, I will say John Hiles, the head of the business simulations division, who actually passed away very shortly after we talked um, he, I feel like he had been waiting for that interview his entire life. <laughs> he was, he, I think that was the most fun interview I've done. He just went on about like cognitive theory and I gave him a chance to, you know, defend some of his work that had been criticized. And he was just, you know, pulling no punches and just, uh, he was cantankerous and it was awesome. He was so excited about it. Uh, so I think he realized that his work was interesting and important, but the other folks, I think, um, we're maybe a bit surprised because it's just been a while since any of that really came up. Um, for Just for context, not to go into this part of the story yet, but uh, the division eventually got spun off of Maxis, and they did operate for a couple years independently before they finally shut down, uh, just making more business simulation type games. Um, and everyone I spoke to, you know, remembers the company fondly, and you know was very happy with their time there, and thought it was this you know great environment and all that, but was I think not something that a lot of folks realized had this interesting historical significance to it. Um, like especially Sim Refinery. Yeah. Like, like I said, it, it was for a lot of pro people, just a project they had worked on. Uh, I think it was especially interesting because the, uh, the art director at, um, at Max's business simulations was a former teacher who just, uh, you know, took the job because it was, it was something that was employable in her area. Uh, she would, had gotten into computer graphics and it was like, you know what? Sure. I'll be an artist. Let's, let's go work for this company. So it was just like, you know, an odd couple of years in her life working this unusual job. And I don't think, um, especially since these folks are kind of, you know, unplugged from the game industry. Uh, I don't think there was necessarily an understanding that it was this like a really interesting chapter in this legendary game developer. It was just this, you know, interesting small business that was operating in Monterey that had these weird brushes with uh, bigger companies and getting, you know, uh, getting things released in game stores very briefly. Uh, Sim Health was the only one, but. I mean, and that, that brings up a, a larger point. It's like this company, um, because, you know, they existed, they were part of Maxis, but they really existed outside of Maxis. And then they were their own company for a while. It's like, would anyone have even cared about any of, you know, any business simulation software if it hadn't been linked to, you know, this iconic company? 
Never. There's probably dozens yeah. of, of, of businesses exactly like this one that were making business training software. And because they don't have, uh, you know, any connection to Will Wright or whatever, it's, it's not something people might pay any attention to. Kelsey, we are not expanding our scope. <laughs> <laughs> not suggesting that per se. Uh, when, when I published the article, I heard from, excuse me, I heard from a couple folks uh, who work in the oil industry who were like, oh yeah, this is just like a program I use right now. I think it was called Aspen was the program that uh, they're referencing. So like there is other stuff out there like this in the world. Like there are still sim refinery type simulation programs used in the oil business. But, um, but yeah, I, I certainly would not have learned about it. I think there wouldn't be the same you know, folklore level mystique around a, a healthcare simulation game that was made uh, to be played in Congress uh, if it wasn't, yeah, a, is it, if it didn't come from the developers of The Sims. Like, that's just such an odd connection to have. And and I'm sort of underselling Sim Refinery, too, because it does come out of the, like, literal guts of Sim Farm, right? Like, they this oh, wasn't yeah. developed independently of Maxis. It was built on top of, like, the foundation that Maxis had already laid with their Sim games, right? Oh, yeah, because they, like I said, they didn't really know how to, like, work with graphics yet. They were still kind of learning the ropes. So Maxis gave them, yeah, at that point, Sim Farm was still in development. And Maxis gave them the guts of Sim Farm and said, build on top of this. And they made their own kind of piece together engine that could, like, slam together the graphical interface of Sim Farm with their simulation programming. And it worked well enough that they kept using it. Um, but, yeah, it was, they definitely were operating mostly independently i think as you know they would occasionally have to call in the maxis mothership to uh help out with some projects i think sim health in particular was a little troubled towards the end of development and they had to bring in the main maxis office to uh tidy things up and get things ready for release but but otherwise yeah they were kind of just uh off in their own world a bit uh and that actually came up when they spun off the company when they finally let them go uh because for maxis you know they were this they were going in the direction, like I said, of going on the stock market and getting turning into this big. They wanted to be like the next, you know, uh, electronic arts, basically, which is ironic now. But <laughs> but they they were trying to like expand into all these new areas, and they were still getting calls from Chevron, like, "Hey, can you please update your software you gave us two years ago that you kind of worked on as a prototype?" And I, I'm actually not sure if they were contacted by Chevron specifically, but like. The point is that uh, Jeff Braun said that there's there's the model of selling software in stores and there's the model of selling a product to a company that you provide ongoing support for. And it was getting to the point where it was like, this is too much work for Maxis. Like they, they are going in the direction of being a game publisher. This other division is still kind of hanging around and making things like Sim Health and they are two hours away. It just got to the point where they were like, it makes sense to spin them off. It makes sense to just let them go be their own company because this is just, it just didn't match with what Maxis was doing at that point. Were they trying anything else that's that's kind of strange for the Maxis that we think of other than this business division? Oh my goodness. Yes, they had so many <laughs> unusual divisions in Maxis. Did you know in the last year, Maxis was an independent company. They had a line of Maxis sports games which uh, I did not know that, no. <laughs> which is really weird um, that they made some questionable choices in terms of how they wanted to, you know, expand the brand, like, uh, you know, Tony LaRusa baseball four from the creators of Sim City doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It was kind of an odd way to push <laughs> to push what the company did. Um, but they, they were really they were just I think 
someone uh there was a former maxis staffer who described the last couple of years of maxis as an independent company as them entering an era of I think they said frantic desperation was how they characterized it, of just trying all these ideas and exploring all these different concepts. Um, but at least in that case, by the time they were putting out baseball games and uh, like uh, pinball games, like Maxis were the folks behind uh, Space Cadet Pinball that was on Windows XP. Like they were mm. going down all these unusual avenues. That was at least still in the avenue of like making retail game products. Right. Yeah, as, or as this was, you know, them trying to enter the world of like making simulation games that would be sold to companies and nonprofit organizations and the government, which is a whole different business model that I think pretty quickly they realized was too much work for them and they weren't on a corporate level super interested in it. So they were just like, you know what, you folks go do your own thing. You seem to know what you're doing in terms of like tracking down clients and starting on projects at least. So have at it. <laughs> we're going to go do our thing. We're making like, you know, Sim Park or whatever. And they went their own ways. On that note of, uh, you know, making all kinds of projects and stuff, I see some lists kind of floating around sometimes that are like, here's all the lost Sim games. Um, what are the odds that any of those are like actually, I mean, what are what are some of the lost Sim games and what are the odds that any of them are actually like, real things that might have been playable at one point and not just like a pitch document that was mentioned at some point in an interview so internally at maxis i can only think of like as far as like you know sim blank kind of games uh in terms of maxis itself there were only a couple that really ended up in that direction like they oh, announced sorry, like, I, meant, I meant business simulation uh, oh sorry yeah simulations because sorry yeah oh, oh yeah, yeah. How john hiles was kind of like a you know a, a pitch everything and try everything and <laughs> Right, yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of them made it to the proof of concept stage or they were still trying to like uh, finalize deals, but like Sim Power probably never went anywhere. Sim Energy probably never went anywhere. Um, they had a lot of projects as an independent company that have also names have come up before. And it sounds like, again, the, everyone's memory from the company is somewhat hazy on these. But for example, they had a, a justice system simulation they were working on for a textbook publisher. And there was even a title screen, like on their website, they had a picture of the title screen of the justice system. And according to their engineer, like that really never made it past like early proof of concept development phase. Um, they had made a, the one that I know they like they finished that they completed was a game called Telesim, which was, it was a simulation of like telecom companies uh, competing in the wake of the uh, the big when when uh, the bell companies were broken up and there was suddenly a ton of competition in the phone industry, uh, these companies didn't necessarily know how to like compete for business. So it was meant to show them how to like compete with other companies in their region over their share of the telecom industry. And that one they did finish. Um, I actually I have a screenshot from that one, and this is just one of those research serendipity things that is so spectacular. Um, it turns out. That So I'm the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, George Washington University in D.C. hosted John Hiles to give a talk about the development of sim health and the business simulation, you know, market. And he gave a talk and they taped it and they just had a VHS copy in the archives at George Washington University libraries. Yeah. Which was amazing. And I went and they were like, 
do you want to watch this VHS tape? It's like, we haven't hooked up the VHS player in a while. Are you sure about this? And they, <laughs> well, in that, in that moment, do you roll up your sleeves? Cause that's like part of your job. <laughs> that, yeah, that's part of my actual job. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm born for this. And like, I don't, and like credit to the folks at the George Washington University Libraries, it was cataloged, it was tagged with the name John Hiles and Sim Health. It was discoverable. So thank you to the librarians and archivists who did that. Uh, and it had it was just him talking about his development philosophy and the development of Sim Health and games like Telesim for like an hour. And it was awesome. And it was just this totally random happenstance thing that helped inform my research. So that would that was a win. That was fantastic. Is there I mean yeah, they had some of the the tools, uh, or at least maybe like source code for an early sim farm or something. But is there any real DNA between uh, sim refinery and what we think of as like the quote unquote real Maxis? I, I think they they shared some stuff. Um, so, for instance, uh, Jenny Martin, who was one of the art directors at Maxis, helped with the business simulation stuff. So she was responsible for a lot of the art in Sim Refinery, which actually looks very, very similar to the art in Sim Health. Not sorry, excuse me, the art in Sim Farm. It's not identical, but like there's a barn randomly uh, at the refinery uh, in Sim Refinery, and it's like that is an early Sim Farm like asset. That's got to be <laughs> like there's no other explanation for that. And like they shared, I think there was some of the like the producer staff, or I think they had some testers work on the stuff. But generally, they were kind of working on their own. Uh, I spoke with the Maxis producer Mike Perry, who um, he said that when uh, the business simulations division split off, he said something like that they kind of accepted it as a matter of course because they were just kind of always on their own, doing their own thing. And again, like they they would call in staff as needed on stuff to like or like helping set the art direction, especially, but generally speaking, they were largely kind of going about it their own way. It's especially interesting because um, from the family of John Hiles, they gave me a demo copy of one of the projects they worked on as an independent company. And it's very similar to Sim Health, Sim Refinery in terms of like presentation style, even the interface still seems very similar. So it seems like they just kind of got you know, the, the, the skeleton for Maxis and then just kind of went off in their own direction with it. I mean, it's, it's almost tempting to react to the story. Um, almost with a sense of loss for me, because I think I had built this game up as a, (laughs) as a real (laughs) sim game. Right. And, and I don't mean to like like as an actual Maxis, right. Like I, I don't, I don't mean to crap on on the the business division, but as I hear the story, it's like, oh, that's just it's just the the name, you know what I mean? Like it's it it just doesn't <laughs> feel like it's it's a part of the SimCity story, and um, I, I hope you didn't also feel that sense of of disappointment. And and I guess the other way of putting that is uh, convince me otherwise. Well, I think what's interesting about it is that it's almost like an alternate timeline version of what Maxis could have been like a sliding door scenario. Cause like SimCity came out and they were still a pretty, you know, small developer kind of figuring out what they were doing. And this was one possible Avenue that could have gone down the route of becoming this kind of simulation oriented company. But I think through the process of doing this, through the process of making Sim Refinery and Sim Health, I think they realized that was not necessarily what they wanted to do, that they were more interested in making games they were more interested in the fun side of simulations i think was what will wright said at one point um 
So it's this kind of uh, parallel universe where they ended up, you know, making these kind of simulation games. It's a really interesting glimpse into that. I think it also kind of speaks to the the hesitancy in Maxis about making this kind of product or like thinking about their own games in these terms, because you, you know, so, something like Sim Refinery was so different from I think even at the t- so what do they have like Sim. Earth, Sim Health, no, sorry, Sim Earth, Sim Farm, Sim Ant, uh, Sim Town was coming out around that time too. At that point, they were they were starting to move away, I think, from the kind of games that would be taken seriously as realistic simulations. For an example, uh, Sim Earth, one of the one of their earlier games, comes with an Earth Science textbook. Like the game came with a like three hundred page manual that includes an Earth Science textbook in it. Um, which is awesome, but it shows that they were trying to make these sort of products that were, you know, that level of grounded in, uh, you know, real world research. I think this was also them going through the process of understanding that maybe that's not necessarily what they wanted to do. Um, not that they weren't, you know, brainy, curious people. Will Wright said he wanted to keep exploring all sorts of new areas and, you know, making games based on different things he wanted to research. But I think they wanted to move away from the business of making games that would be played by candidates for mayor of a town in Rhode Island. I think they want they wanted to move towards publishing stuff like uh, like Sim Tunes was one of the later Sim games, uh, and that was I mean it's that's you know pretty far flung from something like Sim City, but it represents that they wanted to. For Will Wright, it was less about the like the realism of the simulation as we talked about and more about having a like a thing you could inject your creativity into and mess around with i think he referred to it as like a garden almost that that was more interesting to him like i'm sure he would have been like not he's not dead he's alive but i'm sure he would be more interested in something like animal crossing than something like sim refinery so i think it's also it's kind of showing if you took that one aspect of sim city and kind of mutated it off in its own path what would have been versus the direction they ended up going down. Okay. I think, you know, the the way I'm starting to think about it now is like, we might not have gotten to the Sims if they didn't scratch this itch first. Possibly. Yeah. And like, Will Wright had been working on the Sims for a long time. Like even in the early nineties, he had been batting around ideas for the Sims. But yeah, I think it's there, there. There is a possible future in which Max has decided to pivot and go down this route. I don't know what would have made that future happen, um, but it's not impossible. Again, there's a quote from the co-founder of Maxis saying that like Sim Refinery was the future of Maxis. Right. Um, I mean, if they so started making them a bunch of money, they probably would have taken it a lot more seriously instead of it being like you know two projects that worked out and the rest being. Uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe a couple more of them did, but really it was like two projects and and not a lot of money and a lot of management resources. Exactly. Yeah. Sim Refinery was a pilot. It was them, you know, uh, I think it they the total cost was like $75,000. So it wasn't a huge budget, but it was really just like, let's try this, see what happens. And uh, it went okay to eh was kind of how the response went at Chevron just because of what was happening internally at Chevron. And yeah, there could have been a totally different future if it had been, um, you know, if the response had been glowing or something like that. And 
I, I don't, I'm trying to imagine a scenario in which it would be like, hey, did you know that this company that makes uh, management simulation tools for the oil industry at one point made this like city game, like back in 1990? Like I could imagine the alternate version of that story. It's very unlikely. It seems like that's kind of a stretch, but, uh, but yeah, but that's, yeah, it definitely, it represents a, uh, them figuring out what they actually wanted to do with Maxis. Do you get the feeling that the business division was maybe tasked with this uh, challenge that Wright already felt was impossible to um, just create a simulation engine that could be applied to uh, any aspect? Well, this is what I think is interesting, is John Hiles um, had a very different philosophy for simulations than I think either Will Wright or the public had. And John Hiles went on the record saying he disagreed with Will Wright about his thoughts on simulation games. Um, I think the way he approached it was, he said, you know, we can't, yeah, we can't simulate the world, but what we can do is we can create something that people can use to help guide their thinking and help them understand how parts of the world work by just being kind of like a broader canvas for seeing the relationships between concepts. So for something like Sim Health, for instance, he said it was not supposed to be a game that would show you direct one-to-one simulation. Like here's the engine plug into healthcare variables and it shows you what happened. His idea of simulations was we can make an engine that if you plug in variables, it can show you what might happen. It could show you if you do X, Y, Z to this variable, how could it affect something else? Not accurately predicting, but just showing like, here's relationships you should be aware of. Uh, one the of the projects- he- that, It's the might that gets lost in translation when uh, when played by the general public then. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And Sim Health is is loaded with disclaimers. Like, it's, like I think there's a point you can like click a button to load up specific healthcare proposals, like Clinton, President Clinton's healthcare proposal. And it says like, just so you know, this is not an accurate prediction. This is meant to show you what the different variables are. And like, if you have to put that many disclaimers on the game and in the manual, like people are going to take the wrong message. Like, you know, people are going to take the wrong message away. Um, my favorite example of this was uh, post the business simulations division. John Hiles kept doing some uh, simulation development stuff. And he made something for the intelligence community uh, that he called Sim Iraq, which is a name that... <laughs> is very evocative um but it was meant to show you know how like different you know groups and factions in iraq during like the the lead up to the iraq war would like respond to different destabilizations or whatever and i remember he said people were furious about it were just livid that he would make this thing presuming he could predict what would happen and blah 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 and apparently uh some when he did the demo of it some of the stuff that he showed was a possibility some of that did eventually, I forget what specific scenario it was, but some of it somewhat panned out in reality. And his point wasn't that like, you know, I successfully predicted the Iraq war. That was not what he was, the point he was trying to make. Um, but it was more, it was like, here are all the variables. Here are the situations. We can make software that can show you if this happens, here are other things you should be thinking about. Uh, which is a hard thing to communicate when you're making a game, especially when it's like a fun game that looks like SimCity. So is your quest now over? I mean, do you have? Like, <laughs> you, you, you were trying for so long. Uh, I've attended had, several had... Phil Salvador talks that were like, I'm still looking for Sim Refinery. Yeah. And... There, there was there was one guy who kept coming to them and asking about Sim Refinery. I think that the last one, I just I think I just sighed. <laughs> the last one was the asked about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I mean, like, do you, do you do you have a next quest? Do you do you feel accomplished? Do you feel empty? I mean, like, <laughs> you did it. it's out there now. Well, on the one hand, I feel really validated. I feel like yeah. it, it's been the response to the article was really a relief. Like, I felt glad that like I knew there was an interesting story here, and it, it felt terrific that it resonated with so many people, especially outside the video game sphere. Um, but I think it kind of goes back to like, I started this stuff because I was doing some research on Maxis. I wanted to learn more about Maxis. I had always liked Maxis games. I wanted to learn more about their, their software toy philosophy. And this was a wild detour I took for a couple of years, but it has helped informed again, kind of the general research I've done about Maxis stuff. Um, I think I, 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 you know, I have more things I want to research in the world of game history and especially in the world of Maxis. I, I think I'm less interested in continuing to learn about like, you know, serious simulation games and more about how this feeds into the, the broader narrative about Maxis as a company, because they were, I think a really complicated and misunderstood company. And this is one particularly interesting wild chapter. I, I'm not sure anything else lives up to this particular story, but, uh, I, I do want to continue learning more about this company itself um, just because of like some like the Maxis sports stuff I mentioned earlier, just some of the other routes they went down. I don't know that there's like, you know, a thing that I want to find, but it's it's I, I've just become really invested in the stories about this particular company because they had such an unusual uh, decade long history. OK, so your next grail is uh, Will Wright actually talking to you. <laughs> okay, so, so this is the thing, though. Uh, Will Wright, I have been very, very glad, has given a lot of interviews to the public, including to like a lot of academic textbooks and game studies folks. Like around the the era of like uh, The Sims 2 and Spore, he was giving a lot of talks about his development philosophy. So it's to the point where um, I, I feel like I don't necessarily need to talk to Will Wright. Like he said so much about his thoughts, and he's moved on to a lot of other stuff. He's moved on to like. You know, I think he has a new mobile game he's working on. That's like, I think about like, uh, I forget. It's like cognition or something. Yeah, it's he, like, I mean, weren't they soliciting people's dreams? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, he's <laughs> like he he had mentioned in interviews that like after SimCity 2000, he was burnt out of the city simulation thing. He was ready to move on to something else. Like he he had his his independent company called the Stupid Fun Club, where he was messing around with like programming robot brains like he he is such an eclectic person and he's just doing his thing it's like i feel like he has given he has shared so much about his perspective and in terms of like the you know the running of the company like he i'm sure knew very little about the tony larusa baseball four side of maxis um will right if you're listening i would still like to talk to you please but i also feel like it's not necessary for this you know the the stuff i'm interested in with maxis research just because he has shared so much of his perspective Right. I, th I think my this is the this is going to sound really weird. If if we have to pinpoint you know a thing I want to find the grail, it's uh I really want Maxis's stock market prospectus from when they went public in 1995. I can't find a copy of that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was what's that going to tell you? So they they gave a lot of in the in the lead up they had a lot of interesting information about like the finances of Maxis, like when they went public, like in the year leading up 60% of the company's revenue was just SimCity and SimCity 2000, which is wild. Like they had published a lot of other games. They had published all these other Sim games. They were publishing educational games and the company was just SimCity and SimCity 2000. I think Will Wright even said that like the success of SimCity paid for a lot of mistakes they made. Yeah. I'm surprised and, only 
Yeah. Isn't the rule usually 80-20? So it's it's 60%. Another 11% was they had licensed a print shop program called Printmaker, and that was 11% of Maxis's revenue. Wow. And I, so I don't know what the prospectus would say necessarily, but I'm just super interested in like when they went public, just being like, what were you thinking? What was the goal there? What 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 was your your outlook on this? It's just it's it's somewhat difficult to find a lot of that financial information. So it's not I don't even know if it's something I necessarily need, but I'm just kind of fascinated by learning more about that side of Maxis to get an idea of like where they thought they were going. Well, if you bought shares in Maxis when they went public, <laughs> please contact us at uh, podcast at gamehistory.org and, and we will connect you. Uh, I, need, I need to go on one of those like personal, not not personal finance. There's a lot of finance podcasts. I'm yeah. sure they have. I'm sure they have finance history podcasts. I'm sure that's a thing. I'm, I'm sure they're they're very interested in in this particular story in the wider world of finance. <laughs> there's, a, there's a podcast on uh, uh, not failed, but uh, defunct simulation game company finances. I'm sure they're. Uh, <laughs> this is right up their alley. Search Spotify after the show. Um, <laughs> well. Gosh, I think that's it. Um, Kelsey, you got anything else for Phil? No, I don't I don't think so. It, this is, uh, you know, it's something you wrote a little while back, but it resonated so well with uh, not just people who are interested in game history, but my favorite part of it was that it resonated really well with, like, journalists who cover the oil industry and that sort oh, of yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the Bloomberg Energy people, I think they were waiting on, like, an OPEC call or something and they when the game came out they were all playing it like live tweeting playing sim refinery which was that was awesome that's amazing but, but i think if i can if i can go on a little tangent for a second as we're nearing the end of our time i think one thing that really mattered about it was that it was like it was an interesting story and i think it's that sounds like a really vague thing to say but when i started doing the research i was really interested in like the thing i was really interested in like i want to get the copy of sim refinery and i think that may have closed some doors to me early on because I was this weird guy asking around if people had this oil refinery simulator thing. But as time went on, it became clear that like the interesting part was like the existence of this company and what it says about like why we play games and what we think games should do and the role they play in society. Um, like as I was working with uh, the family of John Hiles, it became clear. It's like, for me, this is this weird rabbit hole I'm going down learning about sim refinery, but for them, it's like, this is their family history. And I think that came more to the center as I kept doing the research. It was like, this is an interesting story about people and ideas, and that was what was exciting about it. I think if if the copy of sim refinery came out of nowhere in a vacuum, I think that would have been less exciting and interesting than having this, I think, compelling story around game development and what it means to different people. Yeah, and I people would have sought out the story if it wasn't you know this lost piece of media yeah and same like again i started just trying to find the thing and as as i went on it was like no there's a story there's like there's there's interesting people in the story and there's a a broader message a broader question worth asking i think this is a good journey that a lot of historians end up doing at some point is the the quest for a thing that ends up being a story about people um I've certainly run into that myself, <laughs> where it's, you know, what what the first thing you find, you know, the sim refinery ends up being maybe not the most important or exciting part of the story. The interesting parts come from the the people and the history of the people who worked on it. Yeah, I, I'm going to totally uh, 
drop a quote from uh, the historian Lane Nooney, who I feel like I've used this quote like so often in like podcasts because this is a good quote. But I remember she said something to the effect of like the the interesting thing about games isn't that it leads us to games, but it leads us to everything else. That it's about this bigger, you know, pulling the camera back and looking at the bigger picture and seeing how it connects out to some broader thing in the world and not just having the thing, but people's stories, some bigger, you know, phenomena in the world that in society, that's, that's what I think is really exciting about game history. And I think this doing this four years of research on the business simulations division, well, yeah, it was a journey for me of moving from getting the thing to caring about the bigger picture. We got to interrupt Lane's book and get her on here. <laughs> Which one? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Phil, thank you uh, for joining us on the Video Game History Hour. Oh, thank you for having me. This was terrific. Phil, where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me on uh, Obscuratory.com, which is my blog where I'm continually writing about unusual old games. I'm also on Twitter at It's the Shadzi. Uh, so I'll be in both those places uh, writing more about weird old games people have not thought about in about 25 years. What's the next one? Oh, good question. Um there's some more Max's stuff I'm I'm staying relatively quiet about because I want to make sure I can get in touch with the folks involved. Uh, but there, there's some other interesting, weird chapters in Maxis that uh, there's not really a lot written about. All right. So stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Phil. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Video Game History Hour, brought to you by the Video Game History Foundation. If you have questions or comments for the show, you can find us on Twitter, at Game History Hour, or email us at podcast at gamehistory.org. Did you know the Video Game History Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit and that all of your contributions are tax deductible? You can support this podcast and all of our other work on Patreon or at gamehistory.org donate. This episode of the Video Game History Hour was produced by Robin Kunamune and edited by Michael Carroll. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.